Welcome to Polymathic Being, a place to explore counterintuitive insights across multiple domains. These essays take common topics and explore them from different perspectives and disciplines, and in doing so, come up with unique insights and solutions. As we kick off today, I want to celebrate the continued growth of Polymathic Being. Thanks for being here. I also have an ask. Please follow, like, and share. Follow us on your podcast players and on polymathicbeing.com. Click the like button or submit reviews so others can find us. And please share these essays and recordings with others so that we can continue to grow together. Who are you to rejecting appeals to authority? Today's topic pushes back on the idea that you have to be a certain credential or education to have an informed opinion on a topic. We've discussed the strength of the polymath before, and this addresses one of the biggest frustrations of having that broad range of knowledge, weaving it together into unique insights, and then being challenged for having an opinion at all. We'll explore how this is really just a logical fallacy, and then go into a bit of my own background and how I weave that together into my polymathic aspirations. I can't tell you the number of times I've been challenged as to why I can or should voice an opinion on a topic. The intent is to shut down the argument through a logical fallacy known as a genetic fallacy. And yet, it's that plus a little bit of a reverse appeal to authority by basically saying, you aren't an authority. Yet these are logical fallacies for a reason. You don't have to be an expert to have a well-formed thought or informed opinion on a topic. We've also seen that the experts aren't always right and often suffer the Dunning-Kruger effect even more than anyone else. In fact, we've explored previously how anyone can critically think about a variety of topics through the skills of knowledge gathering, application of logic, and mindful, curious critique that can be learned and refined through exposure, experience, and discipline to see where they become an underpinning of systems thinking. There is literally nothing stopping anyone from having an informed position on any topic, and often it's the outsider who has the most unique insight and can bring the most value to a conversation, often locked in an echo chamber. I think it's important to show how much impact a diversity of background has in allowing a person to think differently. To be completely honest, How much would you trust someone who doesn't have a broad experience set to compare and contrast ideas against? Do we really want to treat the myopic expert with uncontested authority? To both highlight the power of broad experience, as well as to introduce myself to you a little better, I'll try to summarize some of my background of work experience quickly and show you how it all ties together. In high school, I did lawn care starting in 7th grade. I was a full-time summer carpenter for two summers. I worked at a ski hill rental shop for a winter, I did photojournalist for about four years, and I was a state park ranger after graduating from high school. In college, while studying business, management information systems, I worked for five years as a ski hill lift operator and a groomer. I also did photojournalism for sports photography. I worked at a lumber yard for two years, both throwing lumber in the yard and doing inside sales. I was a restaurant waiter for three summers, and I was also a dishwasher to get one of those waiting jobs. I was a dormitory resident assistant, or RA, for a year. I did lawn care for the elderly, and I was a handyman housekeeper at a local resort lodge. Professionally, I started off after college as an army officer in fuel artillery, where, through four years, I was a fire support officer, a howitzer platoon leader, and a police transition team lead in Iraq. 
at Honeywell Aerospace, I was both a manufacturing manager and a research and development program manager. At Raytheon, I started as a Six Sigma expert, working all across the business in every nook and cranny. Then, I became a systems engineering manager in operations research, looking at advanced technologies. From there, I took a second hat as a cyber research and development program manager. I then transitioned to Lockheed Martin, working in advanced technologies as a systems analyst, again, operations research, as well as being an autonomous systems tech lead. At Chainalysis, which is a blockchain tech startup, I worked as a software engineering manager. What's interesting is that my professional career has become more focused with each new role and each execution has become more specific, but they still leverage a very broad background and exposure to a vast array of domains and disciplines. I didn't really understand this importance until my master's program at Johns Hopkins University, where I was the only student without an engineering degree. I expected to get my butt kicked, but ended up graduating at the top of my class and with honors. What I realized is that everything I'd been doing up until then had built out a natural systems thinking mindset. Carpentry is a systems building problem. Field artillery is a combat systems problem in depth and time. Program management is a systems integration problem. Six Sigma is a systems solutioning model. Operations research is a systems analysis discipline. By the time I got into my systems engineering coursework, I had been doing systems analysis and design since high school. The material came easily to me, and I ended up having to put in half the effort of almost anyone else. Quite literally, my team's final project put in half the effort of any other team and got the same grade. Systems engineering is, after all, the science of good enough. What's even more interesting is that due to this broad exposure, I didn't specialize in any one topic and that breadth of exposure opened up so many more opportunities. Since I'm not tied to any one domain or discipline, I'm free to look at problems that even those experiences don't directly relate to and see what my knowledge and background can bring to bear on new topics. Being in this position is both a boon and a bane because I can bring insights from other domains, but there is always the hurdle of gatekeeping especially if the insight challenges the current paradigms or, specifically, a political ideology. What's more interesting is that this gatekeeping rarely comes from the experts, but from those with only limited expertise in the topic on hand, but have a very focused and specialized background in general. They just can't fathom how to tie things together between silos. So how can I speak on climate change? Because I know modeling and simulations of complex systems how to read scientific papers, and I recognize when assumptions and heuristics don't scale beyond a narrow scope of application. This last part is what makes so many scientific studies interesting, but incomplete and, in context, inaccurate. Anyone trying to claim the climate, or really anything else, is a static system with one variable is going to be wrong. How can I speak on COVID? Because our COVID response wasn't about virology. It was about psychology. The virology science was actually super simple, and it didn't take more than two days of research to find the patterns in the system and derive a workable model. Then, realizing that we were dealing with psychology, I could easily pivot and understand and articulate the nuances of how masks do work, but how is psychology resulting in poor outcomes? What about politics? Because I don't look for the talking points. I look for the systems, 
It's the larger view I captured in Quantum Superposition and Politics, where I explain it's not binary, and I break down the nuance of how I'm an anarchist, socialist, Republican, Democrat, and Libertarian at different points in that system. The point here is that with an expanded range of capabilities, you can tie together a broad portfolio of skills in true polymathic fashion. It means that you can build a workable foundation and know explicitly where you need to fill in the gaps to flesh out a topic. It's insatiable curiosity, humility to accept there's more to know, and intentional reframing of problems to find out not only their uniqueness, but also their commonality. I'll reiterate here. It's insatiable curiosity and humility to accept that there's more to know. We can come up with a lot of workable models, but the most important part is to also strive to not let them become static or pedantic. We might not always be right, but it's the dialogue, not the gatekeeping, that allows everyone to learn more. So what's this mean for you? I share this to show how you can stretch your brain as well. You can apply the systems thinking philosophies, you can critically think, and you can avoid the cognitive biases that plague so many experts. This becomes a superpower where you aren't burdened by the paradigms of siloed expertise that Thomas Kuhn talked about in The Structure of Scientific Revolutions. It also means you can break the quandary that Max Planck described as, quote, science progresses one funeral at a time, end quote. In fact, when you stop demanding that only experts have a voice on a topic, you find that it's more often the non-experts who move science forward as they don't have a paradigm to protect. A word of caution, though. It is a lot easier to not do this and stay in a safe place, trusting others to hopefully do what's right. You won't be challenged, you won't rock the boat, and you won't be asked, who are you, to... Yet, when I look back, I love the ability to think freely, explore passionately, and learn, unlearn, and relearn constantly. Thanks for listening to Polymathic Being. We'd love for you to subscribe at polymathicbeing.com, where you can read, comment, and share these essays.